Good evening, everyone. A warm welcome to our evening service here at Platts. It's a joy to have you with us. Let me begin with some words from Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of his faithful people. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. We are going to obey that command from the psalmist now by singing two songs together.
please take a seat. The words of that song come from the book of Isaiah, chapter 52. A wake-up call of sorts, but, but in the previous chapter there is another wake-up call. Awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem. You have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. Though we have been singing his praise and delighting in his glorious grace, we know that we do not deserve that grace. Even this week we can think of ways in which we have turned aside. So we're just going to have a moment of quiet for each of us to reflect in our own hearts, those ways in which we have not given God the praise that he is due. And then we will join in the words of the confession, which will appear on the screen. But a moment of quiet first. We say together, Almighty and most merciful Father, we have wandered and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things that we ought to have done. And we have done those things that we ought not to have done. And there is no health in us. But you, O Lord, have mercy upon us sinners. Spare those who confess their faults. Restore those who are penitent. According to your promises, declared to mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may live a disciplined, righteous, and godly life, to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Awake, awake Zion, clothe yourselves with strength, put on your garments of splendor, for this is what the Lord says. You were sold for nothing. And without money, you will be redeemed. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that it is for his name's sake, the namesake of the Lord Jesus, that we can come to you with confidence. We thank you that it was not with gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Jesus, that you made atonement for our sins, washed us clean in your sight, and made us fit for your presence. And Father, we thank you that your promise is that those who have trusted in that sacrifice once offered can know the freedom and liberty of your forgiveness and grace and can be assured of that. And so we pray that assurance would be with each one of us and rest upon us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. As forgiven people, it is a joy and a delight to sing to the one who redeemed us. And uh, Jesus is indeed a great gift, a gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer, is the first line of this song, which I think will be new to some of us. Uh, Those of us who were on the SBS weekend away last week uh, will have learned it. Uh, But I'm going to hand over to David, who I think might want to take us through the first verse.
um, yeah, City of Light. And um, I'll sing a first verse from the chorus, and then we'll stand and we'll go back to the start.
Tonight's reading is from 2 Samuel chapter 4 and can be found on page 308 in the Red Bibles. And we do have Bibles in other languages and versions are available at the back if you need them and page numbers for those are on the screen. So 2 Samuel chapter 4 starting at verse 1. When Ishbosheth, son of Saul, heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost courage, and all Israel became alarmed. Now Saul's son had two men who were leaders of reigning bands. One was Bani, and the other was Rechab. They were sons of Rimmon the Berathite from the tribe of Benjamin. Beeroth is considered part of Benjamin because the people of Beeroth fled to Gittim and have resided there to, as foreigners to this day. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mirpothosh. Now Rechab and Benai, the sons of Rimmon of Berathite, set out for the house of Ishbosheth, and they arrived there in the heat of the day while he was taking his noonday rest. They went into the inner part of the house as if to get some wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rechab and his brother Barna slipped away. They had gone into the house while he was laying on the bed in his bedroom. After they stabbed and killed him, they cut off his head. Taking it with them, they travelled all night the way of Arab, Araba. 
they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron and said to the king, Here is the head of Ishbosheth, son of Saul, your enemy, who tried to kill you. This day the Lord has avenged my lord the king against Saul and his offspring. David answered Rechab and his brother Binai, the sons of Rimmon the Berethite, As surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble, when someone told me Saul is dead and thought he was bringing good news, I seized him and put him to death in Ziklag. That was the reward I gave him for his news. How much more when wicked men have killed an innocent man in his own house and on his own bed, should I, now, should I not now demand his blood from your hand and rid the earth of you? So David gave an order to his men, and they killed them. They cut off their hands and feet and hung the bodies by the pool in Hebron. They took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in Abner's tomb at Hebron. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ros, thank you for reading that quite eventful uh, account uh, in 2 Samuel. I think we should pray uh, as we come to look at it. Uh, We've just sung, My hope is only Jesus, all the glory evermore to him. Lord, we pray that as we look at this passage tonight, that we would realize our hope is only Jesus, and that we would give him glory because of it. Amen. Well, uh, who has heard of the band Han, uh, Heads, Hands and Feet? Yes, one person. <laughs> one person. This is a good start. Now, a bit of disclaimer here. I've heard of them. I've never actually listened to any of their music. So they could be absolutely awful. Um, the fact that only one person's heard them probably means they're absolutely awful. But as you can probably uh, guess uh, from the picture, they are a 70s rock band, uh, although... As I've been looking this week, the guy in the bottom right, he looks like he'd be in a northern quarter at the moment. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, anyway, what, why am I talking about heads, hands, and feet when we're supposed to be talking about T. Samuel 4? Well, heads, hands, and feet are a way of remembering the story of 2 Samuel chapter 4. Because those body parts play an important role in the story. If you follow it along, it starts with Saul's son, Ishbosheth, losing courage. Literally, uh, in Hebrew, the word is is his hands became slack. So we've got hands. Uh, So he knows his kingdom's coming to the the end. And then we have this kind of almost random account in verse 4 of Saul's grandson, who has two lame feet. Uh, Then we have, as we've just heard, the gruesome story of the head of Ishbosheth separated from his body and brought as a trophy to David. David's response is to cut off their hands and feet before giving Ishbosheth's head a respectable burial. Heads, hands, and feet. It's the story of 2 Samuel. There you go. You're not going to forget it now. But more importantly, through all these uh, gruesome acts, this murder and betrayal that goes on, What the writer really wants us to see is how God's kingdom is coming about. How his chosen king is coming to the throne. If you remember, we've been using this 
uh, overview of 1 and 2 Samuel uh, over this term we've been going through. And as you can see, as we get to 2 Samuel 4, we're right on the cusp of uh, David becoming the king of all Israel. And it's been a long process for David uh, as he's been going along this three stages of becoming king, but he is almost there. Uh, and as we get to that point, the writer wants us to see how the, the house of Saul, his enemy, uh, falls and how David remains standing. If you have been with us in the last couple of weeks, you'll have seen that ongoing battle taking place between Saul and David. Uh, if you just flip back to 2 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1, uh, this is a great summary of how that war has been going. The war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. And it's at this point tonight that we see the house of Saul get to its weakest as David continues to grow stronger and stronger. So let's start by looking at how the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Uh, and it does start with Ishbosheth, uh, Saul's son, in verse 1. So we're, we're back in 2 Samuel chapter 4 uh, and verse 1. Uh, when Ishbosheth, son of Saul, heard ab- that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost courage. And all Israel became alarmed. Uh, news of Abner, his great commander uh, that we were thinking about last week, how he had defected uh, to David and then be murdered. That news has now reached Ishbosheth. The problem is that it was actually Abner who was the power behind Ishbosheth, the puppet king. Uh, and so without that great power behind him, he, he loses his courage, he loses his grip. He sees that balance of power shifting from him to to David. David's going to become king as uh, as God promised. And Ishbosheth, all Israel, they're finally realizing what's going to happen. And so two of Saul's house try to take matters into their own hands. We're introduced to them in verses 2 and 3, and actually in quite some details. Uh, they're leaders of uh, raiding bands, uh, the sort of guerrilla mob leaders. Um, they go out on the missions for the king, uh, perhaps the kind of slightly more undercover ones. Um, but the writer wants us to see that they're not foreigners. They are part of the tribe of Benjamin, Saul's own tribe. These aren't uh, people uh, a long way away. They're people close to Saul. Uh, and his household. And there, uh, as, we, as we heard, we're about to do a, a deadly act, but the writer seems to pause in verse 4. Did you spot that as we we're going through? And there's this kind of uh, random story about uh, Mephis Bosheth. I think that's how you say it. Um, why on earth has this writer put, put this in here? Yeah, it seems a bit random. Of course it's not. Uh, it's the word of God. Uh, and actually, what the writer is doing is showing us that as we get closer down, or further down this chapter, David is the only inevitable and uh, right king that we'll have left. Uh, let me explain it. it. It helps if we look at a, a bit of a family tree of Saul. Um, so uh, there is Saul. He has four sons. Um, and uh, Jonathan ha- has uh, the grandson uh, who appears in verse 4. Now, what we've uh, already seen, if we've been reading the whole way through uh, 1 and 2 Samuel, is that Saul has already died. Um, he died in battle. 
But in that same battle, so did his three oldest sons. Uh, and so, uh, as in our royal family, as the, uh, uh, the king or queen dies, the, um, the throne is passed on to the heir, so it would have been here. Uh, Saul has died, it would have been passed on to the heir. Onto the heir. Um, but three of his heirs have gone. Ishbosheth is the only one left. Apart from, Jonathan's got a son. So if Bosheth was to die, as we know is about to happen, then logically the, the, the throne goes to uh, M- uh, Mephibosheth. But the writer wants to see that, has to see that he's not a legitimate option for king. In verse 4, we're told that he is lame. In fact, we won't do the maths. He's only 12 years old. A 12-year-old lame kid is not going to be someone that's going to lead the people of Israel into any great battle. He's not going to be able to stand on the throne. Actually, he's not an option for king either. Uh, and so with all these, uh, with, with this whole household becoming weaker and weaker, no options left, it's inevitable they're going to have to look somewhere else. To David as the king. And as we'll see, this house is getting weaker and weaker and in, to the point where Ishbosheth is murdered. Look at verse 5. Now Rechab and Banna, the sons of Rimon the Berephite, set out for the house of Ishbosheth, and they arrived there in the heat of the day while he was taking his noonday rest. They went to the inner part of the house as if to go to get some wheat. And they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rechab and his brother Banna slipped away. We'd been introduced to these guys, and now we're told of their evil plan. Um, they use their position uh, that they have as these generals to, to move freely into the house uh, of the king. You, know, they, you can imagine them coming in. Uh, looking around, seeing who's around, going up the main staircase. It's the middle of the day. They know exactly where their king's going to be. They get to his bedroom door. They, sh- they take a look around, make sure no one's watching. Gently open the door, slip inside. And while the king's asleep, there they perform this cruel, horrible act of murder. And in no way is the writer condoning this, At this stage, he's just recording what happens. But it's a great shock that these guys who were close to Saul would now go and do something like this. In fact, he goes on to repeat the shock again in verse 7. They'd gone into the house while he was lying on the bed in his bedroom. After they stabbed and killed him, they cut off his head. Taking it with them, they traveled all night by the way of Arabah. And I think as we read this, we're rightly <laughs> disgusted. I mean, it is a terrible act. But the writer wants to be clear that Ishbosheth is dead. There's, there's, no, there's no one left, and these guys take, the hair, take his head, and they travel by the way of Arabah. Now, that is uh, like the back way from where they were um, to where David was in Hebron. They're going the back alleys so that no one can see them. No one can question what they've been doing. And they're on their way to see David, as we see in verse 8. They brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron and said to the king, 
Here is the head of Ishbosheth, son of Saul, your enemy, who tried to kill you. This day the Lord has avenged my Lord the king against Saul and his offspring. We now see where this plan is leading. They're trying to win favor with this king. Uh, they know that David is going to become king. It's inevitable. People are starting to see it. And uh, all the way along, people are trying to win favor. In fact, bizarrely, it's happened uh, in the same way we saw last week. Words were actually better than actions. You know, they came along with the right sort of words. David has been avenged. The Lord, the Lord has acted. But they came with this expectation that they were going to impress the king. Welcome into David's uh, inner circle, given recognition of their achievements. But David's having none of it. So it's not for those guys to bring about his kingdom. It's for God's to do so. And so the weakness of the house of Saul hits rock bottom. Not only is there no one left, but look at the weak acts that the people left in the house are resorting to. You know, they killed Ishbosheth while he was asleep. He couldn't fight back. In his bedroom where no one could see, they didn't want the witnesses. They slipped away and traveled along that road so no, one, no questions would be asked. They come to David and proclaim this sinful act. You know, it's a sign of weakness. If they really knew that David was going to be king because God promised it, then the the strong thing to do was to stay and trust that God would bring about things in his own time and his own purposes. But instead, they try and use this uh, sinful and worthy act to bring about God's kingdom. And I think we need to be wary that we don't do the same. Now, I'm not suggesting anyone's going to be tempted to murder um, to bring about God's kingdom. But I wonder if there are other ways we want to try and advance God's kingdom through unworthy means. Let me give you a couple of examples to try and explain what I mean. Uh, There used to be a phrase, I I don't think it's around anymore, which is really good, uh, flirt to convert. I don't know if anyone's heard that phrase before. You know, you get friendly with some of the opposite sex uh, in order so that you hopefully would bring them uh, to become a Christian. Um, it was a, you're all looking at me very blankly. It was a phrase when I was a student. I'm glad it, you're looking at blank me and it's all gone. But do you see uh, how that's an example of, yes, there is a good thing in wanting to bring someone into God's kingdom. But you're doing it in completely the wrong way. Or what about a more, more modern example? Uh, people post, uh, posting um, Bible verses on social media. Now, don't get me wrong, there's lots of good reasons to do that. But there are also times when that is done, yes, to show God's words to people, but also to get you more followers. Actually, it's all about how good my Instagram photo looks with the words over, laid uh, over the top. It's trying to advance God's kingdom, but it's doing it in the wrong way. And Jesus asks us to seek righteousness. 
So yes, we want his kingdom to come, but we want to do it in a righteous way. And as we look at David, we'll see that's what he comes to do. So the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. David grew stronger and stronger. Now, we've already seen that he's growing strong in terms of his claim to the throne. It's inevitable he's going to become king. But his his actions as Ishbosheth's head is presented to him actually show strengths in different ways as well. Look at verse 9. David answered uh, Rechab and his brother Banan, the sons of Rimon the Berethite, As surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble, when someone told me Saul is dead and thought he was bringing good news, I seized him and put him to death in Ziklag. That was the reward I gave him for his news. How much more when wicked men have killed an innocent man in his own house and on his own bed, should I not now demand his blood from, you, from your hands and rid the earth of you? David knows that what's happened here is not a good thing. Yes, it may bring him his kingdom, but it wasn't meant to be brought this way. David was trusting the Lord to bring the kingdom, not taking it into his own hands. Now, you've got to get your head around how, how radical that is at the time. Any wannabe king uh, at, at this time when David lived, they, uh, they would have gathered together an army, they would have marched on the place that they wanted to take over, they would have defeated uh, the enemy, killed the king, and staked a client and said, this, this is now mine. But that's not what David has done. He doesn't want a, a civil war. He's respected Saul's and his household's position. In fact, even to the point where um, uh, Meribosheth, who, in verse, uh, who we read in verse 4, he honors and helps when we get to 2 Samuel chapter 9. He's respected Saul's household. Even the war that's been going on between them was, was started by Saul's general. And he's done it because he knows the Lord, as he says, who has delivered him out of every trouble. Now, in 1 Samuel, as we go through, he has opportunities to kill Saul, and he doesn't take them. He now has got the far stronger army, and yet he doesn't choose to use it. Unlike those who have been, uh, we've seen in chapter 3 and chapter 4, who have tried to take matters into their own hands, there he is standing in a show of strength, trusting in God's. And he comes down pretty hard on Rechab and Banna, if we look at verse 12. So David gave an order to his men, and they killed them. They cut off their hands and feet and hung the bodies by the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in Abner's tomb at Hebron. Now, uh, someone asked me this, um, about this last week, so I think it's uh, good for us all to think about it, because how do we make sense of David giving out this sort of sentence? I mean, David is God's king, and he's ordering the killing uh, of two others. So let me try and just, just take a moment to try and explain uh, what's going on there. It, it helps first to realize that David is following the Old Testament law. Uh, Exodus chapter 21, verse 12 to 14 says... Anyone who strikes a person with a fatal blow is to be put to death. 
However, if it is done, uh, sorry, not done intentionally, but God lets happen, they are to flee to a place I will designate. But if anyone schemes and kills someone deliberately, that person is to be taken from my altar and put to death. You know, here are men who have quite obviously schemed uh, and killed someone deliberately. You know, it's probably the easiest trial anyone's going to ever have. They stand there with the head of the person that they have killed in their hands uh, and say, I've done it. Um, In any sense of the word, they are guilty. Uh, And what's more, they're unrepentant. And so it's right, uh, according to the law of that time, that they are punished with capital punishment. Now, I'm not saying anything about capital punishment today. We've got no time to, to touch on that, uh, on that subject. But can you see in the Old Testament law, in the time that David was writing, that was the punishment that, for the crime. Uh, and secondly, we need to see how David is demonstrating through this punishment how this kind of act is not something that God approves it of. of. So Deuteronomy 21 verse 22-23 says, If someone guilty of a capital offence is put to death and their body is exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it that same day, because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. See, he's hung uh, Rechab and Banna on a pole demonstrating they're under God's curse. Their actions that they have taken, which presumably uh, would have been told to others why they are hanging there, show that they are under God's judgment for the way that that sinful act takes place. David is bringing a kingdom where God's law, God's rules will be lived out. And we're not supposed to copy David at this point. Um, don't, don't mishear that. He's God's leader for one. But can you see how his eagerness to keep God's law is a great example to us? You know, the actions that he takes may not sit particularly comfortable with us in 2019. But at the time when the writer is, uh, when T. Samuel was written, uh, they fit perfectly well with, with what would be expected. So David punishes these guys. And Ishbosheth, well, he buries him in Abner's tomb in a respectable death. It's another sign of that, that respect that David had, another show of strength. You see, what we're supposed to be seeing at this point as we work our way through 1 and 2 Samuel is that the establishment of David's kingdom isn't coming about through force. It's coming about through the attractiveness of the king. And as we think about God's kingdom today, Jesus' kingdom, it's not coming about through force. It's coming about through the attractiveness of the king. As people uh, see him, see his glory and come into his kingdom, so his kingdom grows. And there's another similarity between David's kingdom uh, and Jesus. Wickedness has no place in them, but neither will wickedness that's committed stop the progress of that kingdom. You know, it, it's, it, it's hard for us 
sometimes to see this, but in God's infinite power in, uh, and in his wisdom, he uses even these wicked deeds, things he hates, things that he will judge to bring about his kingdom. The wickedness of people doesn't surprise him. He hates it, but it doesn't surprise him. It's not going to stop his kingdom coming. Even through the wicked deeds, as we'll see next week, David becomes king. And even through wicked deeds, did God's greatest plan come about. The betrayal of Judas, the injustice of the courts, the crucifixion of an innocent man. Jesus became the saviour of the world. Paying that price for all the evil that we've done, wiping our account absolutely clean. If we look at the cross in human terms, it seems like a failure. It seems weak. An evil deed just committed by men. But God's ways are not our ways. And so he knew what was needed. He hung his son on a pole under his curse so that we could be set free. And so the cross becomes the greatest victory. Weakness becomes strength. Evil is defeated. Death is destroyed. We have a risen saviour, a king who is reigning over all. And nothing is going to stop that kingdom coming about. That's what we've seen in these past two weeks. There is messiness in this kingdom. Evil acts will happen in this kingdom, but the king will still stand. The kingdom will still come. You may want to keep talking about the question that we started thinking about uh, last week over foods. Uh, what helps you to remember that God's kingdom will be established? Because it's going to be. This world looks a mess. Evil takes place. But God's king is coming. Jesus is coming. It's not going to be by our actions, but by his. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have achieved everything to bring your kingdom about through the cross of Christ. Thank you that that weakness is actually your greatest strength and your greatest victory as evil is defeated and your king sits on his throne. Lord, give us confidence uh, and give us a trust that this kingdom is coming. And may we look forward to the day where we see Jesus, our King, face to face. Amen. James, thank you very much for taking us through that chapter. I don't know what struck you. It struck me that God's kingdom grows because the king is attractive. And how attractive. 
one who is opposed to evil, has no place for evil in his kingdom, and yet a king who, when evil is done to him, overcomes that evil with good. The kingdom doesn't grow through the strength or scheming of people, but because of the king and the king alone. Let's sing his praise now as we stand and sing, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less.
Do you take a seat and we'll pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've been teaching us about your king and your kingdom as we've looked at 2 Samuel. Thank you that King David points us towards King Jesus. And thank you that Jesus is the perfect, just and righteous king. Thank you that we can have complete confidence that nothing will stop your perfect kingdom being brought about by King Jesus. Please help us, we pray, to be people who are living for you and for your kingdom. Thank you that we can know that you're sovereign over all things. And thank you that none of this world is out of your control. So as we hear of wars and terrorism and injustice, of political uncertainties and hatred and corruption around the world, we thank you that you teach us to pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. Please help us to remain prayerful as we hear of things going on around the world, and to believe that Jesus is in control as King. Keep us trusting that one day all suffering will cease when Jesus returns, and that on, de- on that day everyone will see Jesus as their King. Let your kingdom come, and your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We pray that we would see your kingdom come closer to home as we think about the upcoming CU Events Week in the universities across Manchester, starting in just a week's time. We give you great thanks for the students who went along to the launch night last week. And we pray on for all Christian students in Manchester to be bold in making the most of the opportunities that Events Week brings to share Jesus with their friends. We pray for all those who will be speaking up front, especially for Matt Waldock doing all the evening talks, and for all those who will be getting alongside students to share the great news of Jesus with them. Please give them confidence in your word and the power of your spirit to bring people to life in Christ. Please keep them prayerfully dependent on you. And please, would you use this week to grow your kingdom. For your glory, we pray. Amen. Further away, Lord, we give you great thanks for our mission partners, Dan and Vicky. Thank you for all those that they've been able to meet with to speak about Jesus. Please, would you take those seeds that have been planted and produce a harvest 30, 60, or even 100 times what has been sown in them for your kingdom. We pray that you provide um, a new language teacher to join them. Please, would they prayerfully look to you to supply their every need. And we ask that you'd help them to support their house helper in some ongoing family troubles they're having. Please, would Dan and Vicky be able to be a comfort to them with the comfort that they've received from Jesus. And through this situation, Lord, we pray that their family might know Jesus more. Thank you for your goodness to them. We pray that they would continue to be strengthened by you as they serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Finally, Father, we we pray for members of our church family, especially for Margaret Sissons and Rita Powell. We pray that they would know King Jesus closely and depend on him more deeply in their sufferings. Please help them to trust that your kingdom will come and your will will be done in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't we finish by praying the Lord's Prayer together, which will be up on the screen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Helen, thank you very much. Uh, We're going to have a few notices now, and actually Steve's going to bring a notice first of all. And this is an announcement regarding next Sunday. Next Sunday, slightly different Sunday evening. We're going to take a theme of leadership as we've been looking at David. We've seen some remarkable um, sort of signs of leadership within him. Uh, and uh, we're going to take that theme and, and look at it in a practical way as well. So um, I've got uh, Derek Watson, who um, uh, um, leads his own company. He's, going to, he's a member of this congregation. He's going to help us. Uh, and I'm going to interview him, and then we're going to um, have a uh, um, look at the scriptures as well. Just around that whole subject of leadership, you lead people um, in various different ways. Um, you can't help but influence people in some way. So what does it mean? Step up to it. Um, we need leaders. So we're going to be looking at that subject. Thank you, uh, Steve. I'm just going to make sure this is working. There we go. Uh, As I say, we're going to have a few notices. Uh, A warm welcome to you. If you're new to us, uh, it's a great joy to have you with us. There's an information desk over there which gives you lots more information about us and what we get up to. Do feel free to make the most of that. And also come through after the service, please, for uh, food. It'd be great to get to know you uh, better over a bite to eat. Few events coming up. You can see most of them on the screen there. I'm just going to highlight two very quickly. Uh, two opportunities to pray. The first is straight after this service with our Reach the City prayer meeting, which will take place uh, through the back. And this Thursday coming up, we're going to have our church prayer gathering. It's Thursday, not Tuesday. We'll be praying together with all the students uh, who will be uh, there for SBS. Uh, Come and find out news. We're going to hear about Trinity Community Church Rush Home. Will and Charlotte Graham will be with us to share news uh, from there. And uh, we're going to pray for the CUs, as we just did, as they start their citywide CU mission. Uh, We'll pray for lots of other things too, but there are perhaps a couple of uh, headlines. Uh, An advance notice, please save the date, for the 11th of May uh, this, this year for our spring fair. A great time uh, will be had, uh, so please do put that in your diaries. Um, A reminder that um, this year, every six years, the Church of England requires us to start afresh with our electoral roll. So a reminder to you, if you consider this your home church, if you are a member of this church, then there is an electoral roll form which will be available here at the front. Uh, Don't go away without one. Do sign up. Uh, to be part of the electoral roll, which will allow you to vote in our annual church meeting. That would be great. Uh, I'm going to hand over to Maynard now, who's going to come and give us a Reach the City update. Thanks, Tim. Um, Yeah. Well, first an apology. If you were at the Central Prayer Gathering before Christmas, 
Uh, what I'm about to say now, I said then because I've been asked to repeat it this evening, so you're allowed to go to sleep or something. Um, the background is that uh, several years ago, the church published this vision document, uh, which basically outlined the church's strategy for mission. Uh, it had the strap line, build the base to reach the city. So what did and what does that mean? Well, oh yes, it's clever, isn't it? It's down here. Yeah, okay. You need eyes here, but they've managed. Anyway, it, it has two aims. Build the base has two aims. The first is ongoing. What we do week by week, day by day, hopefully, and it involves all of us in one way or another. The second was completed around about three years ago and with the restoration, if that's the right word, of this building and the ancillary buildings uh, in the back that we're about to, to go to. So, then the focus shifted from building to reach the city. A reach the city group was formed to determine the tactics necessary to turn vision into reality. This document suggested that this is what we should be doing. Witness to families at work, in the home, around the neighborhood, etc. Reached out to our uh, localities, the parish and the surround, let's call it M14 for want of a better word. Support, revitalize and plant other churches in Greater Manchester and impact cities with the gospel throughout the world. That's no mean task. So, the, an art, a Reach the City group was established around about three years ago to determine how we do that. Uh, the group is shown on the next slide just so you can get a feel for it. As you can see, it's a blend of youth and experience. And in the latter case, experience relates to me, it means ancient. But there you go, uh, young and old, new, old Christians that have been around for some time, those that are relatively new. So it's a good team, no question about that. Uh, let's go back to the next slide again, please, which tells us what we have to do. How's the, how have we gone on with it? How has the group managed? Well, it's a huge task, as I said, uh, and in the autumn, the Reach the City group sort of sat back for an evening and said, well, how are we doing? How are we doing? How are we getting on? And the answer is quite well with respect to three and parts of two, but frankly, not terribly well anywhere else. So we prepared a report for the leadership team of the church and the PCC, advising them to institute tactics that focused on one and four and that part of two that we weren't covering. And that work is in progress, and that needs a lot of prayer come back at the moment. Meanwhile, the RTC group has three, uh, next slide please, has three or four, five, I think, major foci. First three are on here. Uh, city centre ministry, pretty obvious what that means, and it's focused at the moment around Pete Horlock, a former curate here who reads 
who leads what's called the uh, uh, Ministry to Business Group. And he's supported by the Dowsers in doing that. The second is Trinity Community Church. Tim's just mentioned that to you. Um, and uh, the overall leader is Sam Foles, who's actually here tonight, as it happens. And he will be with us on Thursday, together with the guys from uh, Fallowfield TCC. So that's another uh, reminder to be here on Thursday to learn more about TCC and, the, and what they're doing. St. Martin's, we were given the opportunity to revitalize a church uh, down in Heaton Norris, where basically it was growing very old, even older than I am, I think, probably, and uh, not very many people there, about a dozen or something like that. And through a fair amount of effort, shall we say, that happened last September, and Real, Will Ruby and about 40 people from here went down there to try and uh, bring the gospel to the people in Heaton Norris. And I think it's fair to say that it's been pretty successful so far. I was there just before Christmas when there were about 80 in the congregation. And I think that uh, at, the, at, the, at the carol service they had 180. I don't know what it's like now, but I know uh, that they are doing quite well. And that, of course, brings problems, but as you can imagine. Uh, next one, please. Says the other places, uh, so-called missional congregations. John Brett, a former curate here, who was basically Sam Foles' forerunner, for want of a better word, is leading a diocesan initiative to plant small churches, families, groups in the deprived areas of Manchester as, as, a, as an alternative to what you might call the typical Anglican outreach system. And uh, he is doing that. Uh, he personally is also, in addition to leading this, is, 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 is running a small church in uh, Longsight, and they're just about to start another one, uh, I think end of this month, in, uh, in, in Cedar Mill. Thank you very much. Yeah, okay. Uh, and so that again, but that needs leaders. It needs leaders uh, to run these new churches. They've got plans for Olderman, Rochdale and Bury, and goodness knows what else. So this is a big, big push. Finally, Redeemer Church, Chalton. Uh, that's not an Anglican church. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a plant from uh, Grace Church, the one that meets down there on, on Moss Lane, uh, and, and, and is led by Greg Wilson. But one or two people from this church went to support them as well. So that's another area where we are basically trying to support them. So, fine. So what does this give? It gives three prayer points. Next one, please. Basically... Can you pray for the, uh, the leadership team and the PCC uh, as they consider how to establish working parties, groups, call it what you will, to look at those areas that I mentioned to you that we're not looking at? You can't do everything. And that is underway. So that needs uh, a prayer, leaving us to carry on, if you like, looking at the church planting, revitalization, etc., that we have been doing in the last three years. Then pray for us. We meet next Wednesday. Uh, we meet monthly, and on Wednesday, we're going to be working out how best to interact with Mark Ashcroft. He's the bishop for mission, for want of a better word, uh, in, the, in the diocese. Uh, and we've talked to him, and we've suggested some ideas, and he's come back to us, and that's where we're at at the moment. So where's our next focus going to be in terms of planting or revitalization? So that's the meeting on Wednesday, and of course, pray for us at other times too. And then there are what I call specific issues relating to each of the uh, five points I mentioned. Now, 
uh, and it says there uh, on, the prayer, on the prayer bulletin. The prayer bulletin, you pick it up when you come to the Receipts of the City prayer group after this meeting. So you avoid the food and go straight to the spiritual food. Okay? Where the rector will lead us. Well, I think he will anyway. Yeah, he takes his food with him, yeah. Anyway, so if you want to try and get a bit more involved, there's a prayer bulletin there which I produce every month uh, and tells us where we're up to. And it's hot off the press. I heard from John Brett at 3.55 this afternoon and I'm afraid he missed, he missed the bulletin, but I've, I've, I've got an appendix. Anyway, and it's really exciting. It's really exciting what he's doing. So that's reached the city. We need leaders. Thank you very much. Thank you, Maynard. We do want to reach the city because we have amazing, mind-blowing good news to share with it. <laughs> uh, news that just leaves us in awe and wonder. And our, our final hymn is a, a classic uh, that asks questions. How could it be that my God should die for me? It'll also give us an opportunity to give to support the work of Platt. Do make use of that opportunity if you'd like to, but let's stand and sing together.
please do take a seat. We've reached 